the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer near canada's wonderland in the maple auto mall luxury is closer than you think round one on round one today, John Burnside, Toronto City Councillor and wordsmith, I might add, journalist and co-founder of The Line, an online magazine, Matt Gurney is here, and Sabrina Nanji from Queen's Park Observer. Happy Monday to you all. Lots of protests around the world this weekend, and here in Toronto, they estimate the crowd at about 25,000 people. I'll let you guys take the discussion in any direction, but we did send you Rosie DeMano's column today, and the headline for that says, Empathy for Occupied Palestinians or Brazen Hatred for Israel? Uh, Matt, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I think, you know, Rosie DeMano has some very interesting observations, and certainly watching people apply stickers to the window of a Jewish-owned business is beyond chilling. But I also think I think there is an effort to tar entire protests with the, you know, uncomfortable anti-Semites who might be embedded within. Yeah, I mean, John, I, everyone, good morning. I hate the fact that I feel like I'm repeating myself from last week, but I, I also hate the fact that I think I'm probably going to be repeating myself every week on this one because what we're seeing here is the same old, same old. We're seeing critics of a protest uh, taking the worst examples of bad behavior within it and using it to tar the entire protest. And we're also seeing members of the protest refusing to own up to and take responsibility for the fact that some appalling stuff was being being done in their presence and under their name. And I, I'm, I, I think, like, all of us understand in the abstract, if we strip away all the emotion of, of this and this horrible conflict, we all understand that, you know, when you put 25,000 people together to protest anything, you're going to have a real spectrum of humanity. You're going to have good people there protesting for sincere reasons, and you're going to have awful people there saying and doing and believing awful things. Whether or not you are sympathetic to the good people or critical of the bad people probably has nothing to do with the facts on the ground and everything to do with how you feel about the overall cause. I find it frustrating, I find it annoying, but I find it unfortunately oh so predictable. Sabrina, your thoughts on this because again, I mean, I thought Matt Gurney made this excellent point last week that he's alluded to this morning, which was that all you needed was one Confederate flag in the convoy protests and we could tar everybody with it. But there is this aspect that a lot of people must find very frustrating, which suggests that you can't criticize Israel on any front or you're an automatic anti-Semite. Yeah, I, I think Matt sort of hit the nail on the head here. Um, I think we might be talking about this on future Monday mornings yes. because it seems like every Friday there is a protest now. Um, but, but you know, there, there's a fine line, and it's something we've talked about before. I think that the organizers really need to do a better job of distancing themselves from things that are just blatant, blatant anti-Semitism. I mean, just, you know, days ago we had folks chat, uh, cheering to, to boycott Aroma Espresso, and that's really... I mean, why? Like, f for any reason beyond the fact that it's owned by by uh, folks in the Jewish community. I mean, if you're at one of these protests, and I understand, you know, if you want to hold a vigil or uh, call for humanitarian aid in Palestine, I mean, obviously, I, I don't see the problem there. And, it, you know, when things are going too far, though, and they're calling for boycotts, they're, they're saying anti-Semitic stuff, you know, you got to get out of there, I think. Like, if it was me and I was down there and I wanted to you know, push for humanitarian support, and then I see these folks get, grab a megaphone and say things that are just blatantly anti-Semitic. 
you, you've got to get out of there because I, I think that, you know, this is a slippery slope. What we've seen in Europe and other parts of the world are, are governments now banning protests. And I don't think that that's what we want in a country like Canada, where we start to tell people, you know, who or who can't hold these types of demonstrations. John Burnside, your thoughts? Well, I love Rosie DeMano. I find her uh, extremely perspicacious, and that is my word of the day, <laughs> uh, showing a keen insight and understanding of things. Um, I think when you have these, when you're organizing any protest, you do bear, uh, have a burden of responsibility to make sure that there's a certain tone and there's a certain action. I've been at a number of uh, protests over and throughout my life or come across them, and you see the organizers no, you know, saying, no violence, don't say this, and there's, there just doesn't seem to be that. And, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll flip it around. We've seen a lot of um, pro-Israel uh, marches and, and uh, events. You don't have that same tone of hatred. And right, so you so you can say, oh well, it's, maybe we're just being too sensitive. And I said, well, no, because on the uh, on the Jewish side of the equation, it's all about the state of Israel and their right to exist and showing support for that. You, the problem with these protests, or many many of the players seem to feel emboldened to express uh, hatred and other sorts of actions, which we which is very unique to this. Uh, situation or this protest in particular. Ontario will make it mandatory for salaries be to, dis to be disclosed in job postings. Sabrina and Angie, I don't know, people are always saying this or that is the last taboo, but nobody ever talks about how much they make. And if we did, probably an awful lot of people would go, wait a minute, I'm underpaid. Yeah, I, I think this is a good move. Uh, transparency is always good, I think, you know, from the foreign government. Um, and so we're hearing that the Labour Minister, David Puccini, is going to be announcing this today. Also, you know, part of a, an omnibus package of worker-friendly policies, including... Um, the possibility of banning non-disclosure agreements in workplaces like in relation to cases of sexual harassment or, or misconduct or violence. Um, there's also buzz that they're going to be uh, looking at AI and disclosing, you know, whether employers are using AI to, to search for employees, uh, which I think would be fairly new. I think if, I, if uh, I would have to double check this, but I'm pretty sure that would make Ontario the first province to do so. Um, and so I do think these are... Uh, this is part of the, as the Ford government likes to say, they're working for workers package. Uh, and, and I do think, you know, if you talk to labor unions, it's a bit of low hanging fruit on, you know, what can be done on the labor side of things. But at the end of the day, I think this is more transparency. It's going to help, uh, you know, folks that are looking for a job, you know, get the full picture um, before they, they go in. And, and I definitely think AI uh, disclosing whether AI is being used in the job hunt is something that's going to be really important uh, also for, for workers. Um, in terms of, you know, diversity and transparency. John Burnside, I guess for you, it's no biggie. You were a police officer, so everybody knew back in the day what you were making, and now you're on the public ticket as an elected official and probably on the sunshine list, I imagine. Uh, yeah, the sunshine list from 1995. Those, those parameters, right? I think if now it would be like 175000 if if, you know, using the same with inflation. Um, I mean, this is, I think, a great initiative by the government um, because for them, because it's low-hanging fruit. There's absolutely no cost to them, but it makes th them appear that they're really out there for the worker. Um, I'm not so sure about the AI thing. We already know that computers do keyword searches. So, you know, when I lost my job, when I was uh, unelected, I guess, uh, and I was looking for a job, you know, I was dynamic, I was an active listener, and... <laughs> 
<laughs> everyone uses the same terms because they know the computer's picking up uh, keywords. So I don't know that the AI thing is, is a big deal, but certainly um, the salary disclosure uh, is an easy, low-hanging fruit policy. Matt Gurney, would we all be better off knowing how much everybody makes? Well, first of all, hearing uh, the counselor there describe uh, the keywords in his job search, I'm starting to think I know where he got into his word of the day habit because he really <laughs> wanted to stand out. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think to the, to the serious point, I think it would be interesting to actually know this or at the very least to know what a starting salary is because after that, you never know what negotiations you might have or you never know. I mean, in, in my career a few times, it's been a long time since I applied to a job ad, like a long time, but over the way in my career, I have had occasional uh, opportunities where someone else has come along and been like, hey, we would like you to come work for us and we will offer you this. And I go to my employer and I'm like, hey, well, I've been offered this. Can you match it? So at least knowing where you start, though, I think would give something of an even, uh, even playing field for people. And I think one of the things, I know this is going to sound like I'm being cheeky, but I actually mean this very sincerely. Most of the time, social media shaming, I think, is a bad thing and a corrosive influence on our society. Every Every once in a while, it's a really healthy and necessary corrective. We've all seen in recent years some examples of someone going out and offering a job ad where it's like, you know, 70 hours a week, you know, mining coal by hand for three bucks an hour, no benefits. <laughs> and and the, the company gets rightly shamed for it, right? I think this could maybe be a healthy corrective against exploitation. Now, there's always going to be work under the table. There's always going to be unofficial arrangements. We, we have to be real about this but in general transparency is a good thing and we should have more of it whenever possible okay I'd love to watch somebody mine cold by hand it, it's a terrible it's work a fascinating proposition yeah good so mental imagery our worst uh, nightmares sticking with economic stories uh, have been apparently confirmed that companies are actually raising prices even when their inputs have not gone up and that is driving inflation uh, John Burnside it's not surprising I mean this is very, if we want to get deep into it, Chicago school, which is that if, you, if we don't know the value of something, we'll pay what it is worth to us. Ergo, the company can keep jacking the price up. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit surprised to the extent that we can find out the prices. There's a num numerous uh, apps that will do cost comparison. We see that in on hotels and, and airlines um, for a few examples. Um, but I, I question whether this is uh, uh, very transitory, meaning a lot of companies that went through the pandemic, back to airlines or cruise lines, they, they uh, took on a huge amount of debt, so now they got to get out of that debt. So are they being... Uh, are they acting in this way because they have to, or it's just the, the new norm? And I guess time will tell. We'll get an economist's perspective at 8.20 this morning. Jim Stanford is going to join us from the Center for Future Work. But Matt Gurney, again, to come back to the basic premise here, it, we were always being told, well, it's because it costs more to make this product that we're charging you more for it. And as it turns out, that may not be true. Well, I mean, one of the things we've been talking about a lot uh, ever since we all had to rediscover what inflation meant, I had to go wiki it because I'd never been alive when it was a problem. Um, but one of the things that happens, and, and John, you've already mentioned uh, uh, um, economics and economists here, once it becomes embedded, once the population, and that includes both uh, business owners or would-be or current employees of businesses, once they start to expect it, everything becomes conditional on knowing the 
that they're going to be making more last year than they did the year before. And if the employee says to the boss, look, inflation is going to be 5% next year. My 2% raise is actually a pay cut. If the boss is convinced he can pass on the 5% through higher prices, he'll probably give the raise. That is how we find ourselves, uh, one of the ways we find ourselves with inflation becoming embedded and stubborn. And if you look around at what the Bank of Canada is doing and how it's working, we might actually be there already. Okay, Sabrina, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a vicious cycle. I mean, obviously the costs, um, you know, our supply chain, manufacturing, those things are, are going up. But I do think that it's depressing yet not surprising that some companies are, I guess, taking advantage of this and jacking their prices up more than is necessary. And that's being passed on to us, the consumers. But obviously, as we know, you know, the, the more you, you are spending, that can also drive up inflation. And so I think that this is just a vicious cycle that we're not going to get out of anytime soon. Matt Gurney, our old friend uh, Andrew Coyne, has written a column positing the fact or the idea that Canada is falling apart and Justin Trudeau isn't doing anything about it. Is Canada falling apart? Somewhat, yeah. I don't think we're terminal yet, but things are not working well here. We've deferred a lot of maintenance, and the roof is starting to get leaky here. One of the things we have, and I, I look, it's not entirely Justin Trudeau's fault. Any other prime minister would be in a similar situation. We've got an exhausted government that is trying to deal with too much at the same time, and some things that we're probably going to regret missing later are absolutely being missed now. We got to call it there. We're at a racetrack, but thank you. And thank you, John Burnside, for your word of the day. Perspicacious? I'm just uh, relieved that I actually didn't choke again. Yes. Well, yes, the last time you didn't manage to work it in, I had to make you. Okay. Yes. And uh, we used the word sagacity earlier in the show, so we're in a similar paradigm. All right, that's enough of this. <laughs> I'm very jocular today. Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.